Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, July 30th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. We speak with the mayor about the provincial government's announcement earlier this week surrounding the further easing of COVID-19 restrictions, including the winding down of contract tracing and the end of mandated quarantine for those who get the virus. Next, we catch up with Deborah Yedlin, president and CEO of the Calgary Chamber of Commerce. Deborah gives us details on this year's edition of the Chamber's Small Business Awards and some tips on how Calgarians can help support the many small businesses in our city impacted during the pandemic. COVID-19 cases continue to climb at an alarming pace in the U.S. We get an update on just how serious the situation is down south with Jennifer Johnson, Washington correspondent with Global News. And finally, move over, Spock. The town of Vulcan has a new claim to fame. We speak with Bonnie Ellis, community services manager for Vulcan, with news of the town's newly acquired title of most active community in Alberta. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Good morning, friends. Well, the big story this week, and there were plenty, the biggest, though, the changes or eliminations of most, if not all, COVID restrictions by the province. Uh, I think you might have some thoughts on uh, the uh, agenda that's been laid out over the next several weeks. What are your thoughts? Well, the good news is that my hair is no longer on fire, um, <laughs> but it's still smoldering a lot. I think I did um, see some you know, smoke coming off of it yesterday. that way, actually. I wouldn't say it's removing the restrictions because the restrictions are mostly all gone anyway. Yeah. Okay. What it's actually doing is it's removing the behind-the-scenes stuff. So you'll recall that when we first learned about pandemics a year and a half ago, we learned that the basic rules are test, trace, isolate. That's how you stop outbreaks from happening. And, you know, we can have legitimate debates about when do we lift the mask mandate, when do we lift social distancing, that's fine, it's I'm probably a little more conservative than the province on this. I probably would have waited a bit longer because, as I said a few weeks ago, if you still got the embers in the campfire, the fire can flare up again. And sure enough, our cases have more than doubled uh, in just a week. But I never thought that we would be the first place in the world, except for Saskatchewan, more on that later, uh, to stop testing people to stop all contact tracing and to say to people who've actually tested positive, who are contagious, eh, go to the football game, ride the train, no big deal. This is nuts. You know, some people are saying we're Florida North. I checked Florida's website this morning. Oh, no, they still do contact tracing. They still test people and they still recommend isolation once you have been tested positive. So this is really, really out there. Um, I was going to say up until yesterday, I wasn't aware of any other jurisdiction in the world that had gone this far. And then we realized that we think Saskatchewan did it accidentally. They were so excited a couple weeks ago to lift their restrictions. They went ahead and lifted them all, but they never changed their uh, website or anything. It still said that you still have to isolate uh, if you test positive. <laughs> I heard an interview with the health minister. He desperately was trying to sound like they hadn't just made a mistake. But in any case, Alberta and Saskatchewan, I guess, remain uh, completely outside of the rest of the world. And this is why this matters. Because, look, if you're vaccinated and you catch the disease, there's what we call an outbreak infection, you probably aren't going to get that sick. And thank goodness our hospitalizations are creeping up just a little bit, but our ICU deaths and our ICU admissions and our deaths are really, really low. So that's outstanding. Only unvaccinated people basically 
are getting admitted to the ICU or only are dying. But outbreaks that you can't control, that you don't know where they are, that's where you get mutations of of the virus. That's where you get variants. And what a shame it would be if Alberta unleashed a variant on the world because we were just unwilling to test and trace. Uh, It's completely inexplicable to me. Yeah, now you said earlier this week if things come off the rails, uh, you guys are now on break, uh, you guys being council, that is. Uh, What do you mean to say that I could call them back? We could possibly get our heads together and and have to to come down and and help support Calgary in some way, shape, or form. What type of things are you you thinking about when you say that? Yeah, we have have very limited authorities. Um, I've asked if we can put in rules asking people who test positive to self-isolate. It's not clear that we can. Certainly, we do have the ability to put in a uh, mask mandate again if we need to, but that actually doesn't solve this problem, but it might solve the problem caused by this problem if we end up with huge outbreaks. Uh, Certainly, we have the ability to make rules on city facilities and city vehicles, including Calgary Transit. We regulate the taxi industry, so we can probably make rules there uh, if we need to. Uh, Those are administrative decisions. I don't need counsel for those. But if we wanted to bring back the mask bylaw or do anything else, I won't hesitate to call council back. But here's the problem. Up until August 16th, we will at least have some sense of whether there's an outbreak or not. After August 16th, they're not testing anymore. So we actually won't know until and unless, God forbid, people start dying in the hospital. Uh, It's inexplicable to me how you don't want to actually know what's going on. And uh, good news, though, good news, Dr. Hinshaw says that they're going to keep testing the Calgary Municipal Wastewater to see if you're peeing out COVID, and then they'll know if there's an outbreak somehow. Okay, well, I think you have some strong opinions on that, and uh, you have a lot of opinions, and we wonder if you can uh, stick around for two more minutes. Sure. Still have some time with Mayor Nahed Nenji. Thank you so much for sticking around with us, Mr. Mayor. Happy to be here. Switching gears, uh, we want to talk about the other, uh, well, a couple of other pieces of news this week in City Hall and City Council. The new uh, event center, front center this weekend, caused no shortage of debate among councillors and Calgarians alike. So we're wondering, now that a new deal has been reached, is the debate done? Is the next thing we're going to hear about this is of the ribbon cutting and the shovels in the ground? Here's hoping. Um, you know, I have spent uh, an enormous amount of time on this file Uh, over the last several months. Uh, So very briefly, you know, when council approved it in 2019, we had approved what we call a class five estimate, which can go minus 50% plus 100%. Um, And as we got into detailed design work, we realized that the design that we had approved, which is something called an inverted bowl design, actually wasn't going to work very well. It would have been very steep. It would have been hard for people to access. It didn't really fit on that piece of land. So we needed to go to a more traditional design. And we also noticed a few other things. There were actually too many luxury boxes and not enough seats. Uh, There weren't enough women's bathrooms. Uh, So putting these things in inflated the cost. And we learned that in January. And we spent the last few months both trying to reduce that cost back down, but also uh, figuring out how to fund it. So long story short, the city has always said we would cover $12.5 million of cost overruns. Um, on a 50-50 basis with the Flames. We did that, and the Flames have agreed to take on all of the cost overruns over that amount. So for me, this is actually a better deal than it was uh, when we signed it in 2019 from the perspective of protecting the taxpayers, and I think we're going to build something that we can all be proud of.
Now, some of the opposition uh, to this particular deal is that the perception is there that perhaps the city is giving up control over what this is going to end up looking like in the long run as CMLC is no longer a part of the uh, planning process. What's your counter to that? I'm totally fine with it. Um, because of a few things. Number one is, legitimately, the Flames said, look, if we're in charge of all the cost overruns, we have to be in charge of the construction process to avoid the cost overruns. That's exactly what I would have said uh, if I'd been in charge of all the cost overruns. But ultimately, they've been a good partner. We're working with them to finalize the design. Um, and we still have oversight because we're still the regulator. We're still the one who has to issue all the permits. So we have a chance to look at that. It's going to go through our urban design review panel at the city. And here's the thing. These, shall we say, wealthy people who own the team are not interested in building an ugly building. They're interested in building a building that is nicer than their fellow team owners' buildings so they can lord it over them, right? That's just human nature. And so I'm very confident that they're going to build something great. I want to ask you this because you guys mentioning summer it's summertime for for everybody. Everybody gets some summer off. Uh, but over the next uh, several weeks, if people have an issue, are they still going to have that conduit to, to talk to their city councilors to get their Oh, yeah, 100, 100%. Everyone's still working. Uh, some of the I'm still working. Some of the councilors, um, obviously, will be a little more focused on what happens in October on their election. But we're all still working. And uh, just like every summer... Council doesn't meet in August, but the work of the city continues. And uh, the reason we had this monster, I think it was 11-day-long meeting. It wasn't that long. Um, felt it. Uh, was just so that we could clear off some of the, some of the decks and keep the work going through August. Well, Mayor Nenshi, if it's any uh, uh, condolence to you, being a part of the media and covering that meeting also made it feel like it was 11 days long as well. So. <laughs> We were kind of in the same boat, but not quite, because I know the pressure was on you folks to uh, to try to figure out the best thing forward for the city, and it was certainly a big file this week. So thank you for taking some time and, and spending it with us today. Thank you all. Everybody have a safe weekend. Stay cool. Check in on elders, and uh, we'll see you next week. That is Mayor Nahed Nenshi joining us as he does every Friday here on Mornings with Sue and Andy. After having to reimagine the Small Business Awards last year, the Calgary Chamber is bringing them back in all their glory this time around. Nominations now open. If you have a great idea for one of Calgary's best small businesses, joining us now to discuss is Calgary Chamber President Deborah Yedlin. Good morning, Deborah. Good morning. How is it going this morning? It's going well. It's uh, I wish it would be a little uh, sunnier and we wouldn't have the haze in the air, but uh, I can't do anything about that. Well, you know, we, we can all wish, though. It's always good. Yes. <laughs> so so give us the rundown here. How are things going to be different this year compared to the previous years? So this year we're going back into the BMO Centre and we're going to have our expo and we're having a gala on the Friday. Small Business Week is the week of October 18th to the 22nd. And uh, we will be having everything we hope uh, that's the plan, it, to do everything in person uh, on the Tempe grounds at the BMO Centre. So it'll be um, a very different event than last year, and uh, it's a really great opportunity to showcase our small businesses who have really had a tough, tough year. And this is our ability to really highlight what they've done and uh, give them some profile. Deborah, focusing on the nomination process right now, the award winners will be named during Small Business Week in October. 
Uh, can you break down how many categories there are and how people can nominate businesses and vote for their favorites? Sure. So um, it's uh, there's a, there's eight awards in total. Uh, Small Business of the Year, Community Champion, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. We have an Emerging Growth uh, category that's sponsored by one of our startups, Telsum. Innovation, People's Choice Award, the Resilient Business, which is particularly relevant given what we've gone through, and entrepreneurship. And so um, these are all for businesses that are under 100 employees. They need to be based in Calgary, and they need to be as a registered business. And anyone can apply. You don't have to be a chamber member, uh, and it's up to anyone, client, customer, uh, guest, it doesn't matter. Anybody can be nominated. The applications are due the 17th of, uh, of August. And last year, you know, we, we've seen over 1,200 applications, so it's clearly something that people think about, and it's really something that gives the, uh, the, the businesses in Calgary a real boost. I mean, you have to realize we are, a, a, for a city our size, we have uh, the second highest number of small businesses in the country per capita. So it's a really important part of our city and a very important part of the employment for Calgarians. And so we really want to support them and highlight what they do. And we are talking with Deborah Yedlin from the Calgary Chamber about the Small Business Awards coming up in October. And Deborah, uh, how does it feel to know that we, we get to do this again for small businesses this year, uh, especially for the those that have made it through to the other side. Uh, I guess we're not quite through this COVID thing quite yet, but those that have held on, and it has been a really tough year. So how does it feel to say, hey, we get to acknowledge some of those businesses? Well, I think that if, if the um, number of people that were out during Stampede is any indication, people want, really want to be able to connect in person after being in, in, two, in 2D for the last 16 months. And so it's really important for us to be able to support our businesses because this has been a very, very difficult year. And so to be able to see people in person, to celebrate them in person at the gala on the 22nd is going to be really great for, for, for Calgary business. I think it's, 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 uh, it's definitely a boost to morale. And I think we need that in this city, given what we've had to deal with. Not, you know, the pandemic plus the economic downturn that we've faced for the last while. Mike referenced those businesses who made it through to the other side, quote unquote. So I'm wondering, you know, for those businesses still very much struggling, who who might not know much about the chamber, if you could talk a little bit about the resources available to help businesses get back on track. And I know you you folks just want to see businesses succeed, right? We do, and we have this. So there are programs that are obviously offered with by by the federal government. The city has its jobs grant. Um, it, it's small business grant. So, I mean, there are a number of programs that have been made available to to small businesses and to go to the Chamber website, to uh, calgarychamber.com, and you'll find details of what can be offered for small businesses. And we'll, you can be directed to uh, the supports that are, that are there as well as nominate your business for the uh, Small Business Awards. It's something that, you know, just because we're coming out of the pandemic, just because we're starting to see some more economic activity, it's really important for Calgarians to realize that they we need to continue to focus our local business on our local businesses and shop local, so that they can continue to to pull through this this pandemic. Because the reality is, as things do get better, it doesn't mean that they don't need any more support. I mean, they still need support, even if they have made it through. This is just the first step into in terms of their economic recovery and their economic growth. Uh, is the chamber doing anything else uh, for Small Business Week? 
Well, we, you know, we're going to have uh, an expo. We're going to have an expo. We are going to have uh, a number of, uh, you know, we'll have um, speakers. Uh, the Small Business Week Expo is going to be presented by Connect First Credit. And it is, it really is one of Canada's largest B2B business to business networking events. So, you know, over 100 exhibitors, there'll be a local marketplace, there'll be workshops, we'll have keynote speakers, we're going to have some panel discussions that are very relevant to what's going on right now in, in, in Calgary in the business world. Deborah, I know that, you know, small business, the backbone of our city, and these are our neighbors, these are our family and, and, and friends that are owning these businesses. Aside from, you know, uh, just uh, you know, putting your money down and, and supporting financially, what else can we do as Calgarians to support Calgary businesses? Well, I think, you know, as we as we start to go, as we all start to go back into the community and we start to shop local, I think, you know, we are all are always our own best marketers. And so, you have a good experience. Tell somebody else. Tell someone else about a service that you use that that um, that was really helpful. So we need to just continue to amplify our support of the small business community. We've gone into a world where we do things so much differently. We've 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 changed the way we work. We've changed the way we study. We changed the way we play, and we've also done a lot online. And thankfully, our small businesses have also adapted to a lot of that to that to that shift in how we how we do shop and find the things that we need to get. Um, it would be nice to think that we can sort of can shift a bit more back to that in person interaction and not as much online. And certainly, the convenience of that has has been. Um, been very important for all of us, uh, but now perhaps it's the time to start thinking about being back in the community and being going back into those businesses, uh, you know, in 3D as opposed to 2D. Yeah, definitely, definitely something to look forward to as as we continue to emerge from uh, COVID. Thank you so much, Deborah, for your time. Thank you. Okay, that is Deborah Yedlin, the CEO of the Calgary Chamber of Commerce. Uh, nominations open for the Small Business Awards. Of course, Small Business Week coming up in October. Head over to calgarychamber.com to check it out. COVID cases remain on the rise in the U.S. this week with the fourth wave of the pandemic spreading. What's being done to curb the spread or is anything being done? We're joined now by Washington, D.C. correspondent for Global News, Jennifer Johnson. Good morning to you, Jennifer. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. What seems like the hundredth week in a row, we're seeing big jumps in COVID numbers in the U.S., and it doesn't seem to be slowing down. What's happening? What's the latest? Well, the latest is the Delta variant is sweeping across the country. The CDC comes out with a map almost every day, basically telling people their risk, if it's substantial, moderate, high um, and a great uh, percentage of the country is now in the substantial and high category, meaning that they're at great risk of getting the Delta variant, not only if you're back, unvaccinated, but also if you're vaccinated, because they are seeing an increase in breakthrough cases and people are getting sick. And the CDC had an internal memo that uh, the Washington Post and now NBC News has gotten this morning. And basically what it is saying is, you know, there's a new war. The war has changed is what is said in this internal memo, uh, meaning the Delta variant is, is uh, creating more severe illness in people who get it. And um, they, it spreads easily or as easily as chickenpox, according to this internal memo. And so the CDC is very worried about what's going on in this country. The problem is you've got um, a little over half of the country that's fully vaccinated. Um, it's a, well, it's about 50%. So half the country is and half the country isn't. And so the unvaccinated people are spreading this virus. 
and it's just getting worse and worse. Now, as a result of this, Jennifer, we are starting to see some uh, mask mandates come back into place. Is that correct? Right. The president announced yesterday that he is going to require masks in federal buildings. Um, And if people are not willing to wear a mask, they have to be tested for COVID-19 once or twice a week. Um, And, well, I shouldn't say that. Let me back that up. He is requiring masks in all federal buildings. If people are unwilling to show proof of vaccination then they have to subject themselves to being tested once or twice a week for COVID-19. He's hoping that private businesses, local governments, um, and state governments will follow suit to try to stop the spread of COVID-19. But we'll see. There's been a lot of pushback in many states, although that, you know, some of the Republican governors who initially pushed back on, you know, requiring vaccinations and pushing for masks, they're kind of backing down now because their hospitals are getting overwhelmed again. Jennifer, I'm wondering, you gave us the percentages of those vaccinated in the U.S., and I'm wondering if there's a divide like there is up here. Up here, there seems to be somewhat of an age divide when it comes to the different demos. Uh, Can you put your finger on something like that in the U.S., or is this a case of uh, just unilaterally people aren't uh, rolling up their sleeves? Well, the divide, I mean, yes, there is a divide. I mean, most of the people who are vaccinated are 60 and over, but the divide is really between political parties. Um, the majority of Democrats are vaccinated, and there's still a high percentage of Republicans who are not vaccinated. And, of course, you know, that started with the president, former President Trump, who, you know, downplayed the virus initially um, and really downplayed it throughout his presidency, even after he got it. He said he was very sick, but, you know, as sick as a bad flu. Um, but heroic measures were taken to save his life that are not available to you know john q public so there are there is a a high percentage of republican voters who still think that they should not get the vaccine that the vaccine is going to cause worse problems for for them there's you know odd things on the internet that people subscribe to like being microchipped by the vaccine you know stuff like that so the divide is really among political parties versus age, but uh, but truthfully, the the younger population is less vaccinated than the older. What is uh, Joe Biden and and the federal government down there doing to try to overcome some of those barriers and and get uh, some of these folks vaccinated? Well, the Biden administration has been saying constantly. Uh, well, Dr. Fauci went on TV and the talk shows last Sunday. Basically, he said, "I am pleading, I am begging." Americans to get vaccinated. And that's sort of been the message, you know, please, please get vaccinated or we're going to continue to take steps back. You know, there's all kinds of mask mandates that we talked, as we talked about, that are being put in place in the, on the local jurisdictions, such as LA County and uh, places in Missouri, um, that, that local officials are now requiring indoor mask wearing because they're going backwards and they're going to see businesses suffering again. So the Biden administration, I mean, they, they're, they're pushing door-to-door community outreach to communities that are reluctant to be vaccinated. The CDC has, you know, meetings twice a week, and they have press conferences talking about how things are going in the wrong direction. This is the fourth surge. Um, and, you know, they, they talk about it every single day. Every single day, the president makes some comment about the rising caseload and the hospitalizations and death toll really now of COVID-19 in this latest surge. But it's not 
translating into more people getting vaccinated. We're not seeing an uptick in people getting vaccinated. As a matter of fact, vaccinations right now are at their lowest level since the end of January. Wow. We're uh, chatting with Jennifer Johnson, Global News Washington correspondent. And uh, Jennifer, emotional testimony this week on Capitol Hill around the January 6th riots, which seems almost like a lifetime ago. Police officers uh, affected told their stories, giving Americans an inside view of just how violent and hateful the riot was, right? It was just unbelievable to watch this as an American, to see that amount of hatred. And actually, one of the police officers um, who did testify um, has gotten a lot of hate mail and um, emails, uh, Twitter comments, voicemails, uh, saying he's not a patriot, that... Um, he wasn't uh, working with true Americans who are trying to stop an illegal election. So they, the hate to the Capitol Police has continued. But the House followed, followed the Senate yesterday in approving a $2 billion security bill for the Capitol, which is going to beef up security, not only increase the number of police officers, which they are at their lowest level that they've been in years. Many quit after the riot. It's also going to increase security for doors and windows and internal doors um, to try and prevent this from ever happening again. Um, It's also going to pay back the National Guardsmen who were called in from D.C. and Virginia and Maryland. And so that is expected. My guess would be the president might sign that bill today. Um, but it's passed both house, both the House and the Senate. So they definitely are going to beef up security after that, as you said, emotional testimony, horrifying testimony. And so the Capitol will be stronger after the January 6th riot. I guess so you can say it's good to see some positiveness coming out of that in- entire incident, uh, Jennifer. But but at the same time, it was uh, it was pretty scary to watch. Very scary to watch. And actually, the, the bill passed pretty overwhelmingly. Uh, both in the House and the Senate. So that was at least, I mean, there was a lot of controversy going into this committee hearing about whether or not it should actually happen. And Republicans, several Republicans pushed back on that. And then Nancy Pelosi didn't pick Jim Jordan, who has been very critical of having this investigation. Um, But it was heartening, if you will, to see that that bill, that $2 billion security bill passed pretty easily. Jennifer, thanks for your time this morning and have a great weekend. Okay, thanks, guys. You too. That's Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington correspondent. And one. And two. And three. And oh, sorry. Going back to the jazzercise and aerobicized days. Hey, when it comes to being active, one small Alberta town stands head and shoulders above the rest, and that is. Vulcan, Alberta. Yeah, Vulcan has been named the most active community in Alberta by participation. Joining us now is the town's community services manager, Bonnie Ellis. Good morning to you, Bonnie. Good morning. I'm glad we could catch you in between your workouts. Yeah, um, thank you for exactly. Time. Um, so why is everyone so active in Vulcan? Is, and it is, has it always been an active community? Well, you know, we are the Star Trek capital Canada, so we have to live live long and prosper. And how are we going to prosper is to be active, right? Buddy, I want to congratulate you because I was trying to figure out how to work in <laughs> the, the ties there to Star Trek, and you beat me to it. So, so that's good. I mean, I mean, if, any excuse you can use to get people active, I think, is important, right? It, 
Exactly. That's how we keep healthy. That's how we have a good quality of life is keeping active and being part of a community and uh, gathering together and doing all those things that uh, bring a smile to people's faces is uh, a great way to uh, keep active. So my question for you then, I've got one. I've got the Mm -hmm. Star Trek reference. Here it goes. (laughs) Uh, You did recently open an outdoor swimming pool, but do you have any holodecks or something to keep people active? Or what other unique activities do you have in the town of Vulcan to keep people moving? Yeah, well, we do, like you said, have a wonderful new pool with uh, outdoor slides and, uh, you know, the whole beach area and uh, splash parks. But we also have probably one of the first that I know of is uh, a park that has uh, backyard games. So it's all devoted to, like, uh, cornhole and uh, all those uh, kind of games, washer toss. You know, it's a permanent one that's up all year round. And, uh, you know, it's a brand new one, the Kinsman of uh, Vulcan. Uh, installed that just early this spring and also installed uh, Frisbee Golf. Uh, so, you know, we're always looking for ways to keep active, and our community service groups are, are joining that uh, um, uh, way of life is just getting everybody out and active. And, yeah, so we have some really fun stuff. We have a 5.5-kilometer walking path that surrounds the town. Um, we have lots of things to do. Being most active comes with bragging rights, most definitely, Bonnie, but I understand there's also a cash prize. Can you tell us about that and where the money's going to go? Yeah, so we were picked uh, from uh, five finalists in Alberta to be called the uh, most active community in Alberta. And uh, so with that... um, Winning that award, we get $15,000, and that money will go towards building some more things that will keep us active, so a couple of sports courts in town. So we're looking. We know everybody is playing pickleball nowadays, and kids always love basketball, so we want to keep that going, and so we're going to put that money towards building those uh, amenities. All right. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Bonnie. Congratulations on the win, and let me know when those holodecks get installed. Well, all righty, will do. I'll be down there to try them out. Oh, good. Live long and prosper. <laughs> you as well. That is Bonnie Ellis, the community services manager at the town of Vulcan. He certainly embraced the whole Star Trek thing. I can't help myself. I cannot help myself. You're you're a huge is is a Trekker now or Trekkie? I can't Trekkie. remember. A Trekkie. Trekkie. You're Don't hurt me Trekkie. like that. Well, they, they, at one point they were saying it has to be Trekker now. <laughs> I'm still going with Trekkie. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.